Good evening. A guilty verdict for a white cop accused of shooting a black teen in Minnesota. Vladimir Putin says the United States is the aggressor in Europe. Is Bernie Sanders supporting the basing of a nuclear-armed bomber in Vermont and a 97-year-old witness to the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy speaks with WBAI? He was also wounded, shot in the leg. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Thursday, December 23rd, 2021. Suburban Minneapolis police officer Kim Potter, who said she confused her taser for a handgun, was convicted of both charges of manslaughter today in the death of black teen Dante Wright. In the matter of State of Minnesota versus Kimberly Potter, court file number 27CR217490, we, the jury on the charge of manslaughter in the first degree while committing a misdemeanor, on or about April 11, 2021, in Hennepin County, State of Minnesota, find the defendant guilty. And the verdict was agreed to at the hour of 11.40 a.m. and signed by the jury person on 12-23-21. On uh, the verdict on count two is we, the jury, on the charge of manslaughter in the second degree, culpable negligence on or about April 11, 2021, in Hennepin County, State of Minnesota, find the defendant guilty. And that verdict was agreed to at 10.30 a.m. on 12-21-21. Members of the jury, is this your true and correct verdict? So say you one, and so say you all. Yes. Okay, you may be seated. The verdict prompted tears from the young black man's parents and a jubilant celebration by supporters outside the courthouse who chanted guilty, guilty, guilty. Potter, 49, faces about seven years in prison under the state sentencing guidelines, but prosecutors said they would seek a longer term. Judge Regina Chu ordered Potter taken into custody and held without bail pending sentencing on February 18th. I will be taking Ms. Potter uh, into custody. And uh, holding without bail? Your Honor, her bail right now is $100,000. She's got that posted. She's not going to run. Uh, we do request uh, that the defendant be taken into custody. The convictions here for manslaughter in the first degree, manslaughter in the second degree, based on the death of Dante Wright, a young man. In other words, it's a case that involves death. They are very serious charges. It is customary for defendants to be taken into custody upon a guilty verdicts for those uh, level of crimes. The presumptive uh, sentences in this case are commits. Um, and I am going to require that she be taken into custody and held without bail. And I recognize uh, your arguments, Mr. Ng and Mr. Uh, Gray, but I cannot treat this case any differently than any other case. Potter had been free on a $100,000 bond posted the day last April that she was charged. 
three days after she killed Wright and a day after she quit the police force. Outside the courthouse, dozens of people who had gathered erupted in cheers, hugs and tears of joy as the verdicts were read. A New Orleans-style jazz band played when the Saints come marching in. Potter, who testified that she didn't want to hurt anybody, looked down without any visible reaction when the verdicts were read. Potter, whose white shot and killed a 20-year-old Wright during an April 11th traffic stop in Brooklyn Center as she and other officers were trying to arrest him on an outstanding warrant for a weapons possession charge. Jurors saw the video of the shooting from police body cameras and dash cams. As Wright pulled away while another officer attempted to handcuff him, Potter repeatedly said she would tase him before she drew her handgun and shot him once in the chest. For first-degree manslaughter, prosecutors had to prove that Potter caused Wright's death while committing a misdemeanor, in this case, the reckless handling or use of a firearm. The second-degree manslaughter charge required prosecutors to prove that Potter caused Wright's death by her culpable negligence, meaning she caused an unreasonable risk. And in another high-profile trial, this time in New York City, Ghislaine Maxwell will spend Christmas and her 60th birthday in jail without a resolution to her sex trafficking trial as a jury ended an abbreviated first week of deliberations yesterday without reaching a verdict. The jury finished the second full day of considering the British socialite's fate on charges alleging that she recruited and groomed teenage girls for financier Jeffrey Epstein to sexually abuse over a 10-year period from 1994 to 2004. Jurors will return Monday after the Christmas holiday, turning down an offer to work today. United States District Judge Allison Nathan warned jurors to protect themselves against the coronavirus over the next four days amid a dramatic increase in infections in New York City. He said, I need you all here and healthy on Monday. And in Moscow, Russian President Vladimir Putin urged the West today to immediately meet Russia's demand for security guarantees, precluding NATO's expansion to Ukraine, saying the United States is on the threshold of our home. Speaking during a marathon annual news conference, the Russian leader welcomed talks with the U.S., which he said are to which he which pardon me, which are set to start in Geneva next month as a positive move, but warned that Moscow expects the discussions to produce quick results. Our actions will depend not on the negotiations, but on the unconditional security of Russia today and in the future. In this regard, we have made it absolutely clear that NATO's expansion to the east is unacceptable. What's, what's not clear about it? We are not the ones that deploy missiles next to the United States borders. That's the other way around. The United States brought their missiles next to our borders. They are at our threshold. So who created Ukraine? Vladimir Lenin established Ukraine when he created the Soviet Union. And he used his own agenda to create this state. So let's forget about history. We must think about the security, not a single inch to the east. That's what we heard in the 1990s. So now look at what happened. So they just cheated us. Vehemently, blatantly. So NATO is expanding. We are not the ones who are threatening someone. We are not the ones who came to the border of the US or the UK. They came to us. And you want guarantees from me that for decades we are not the threat to anyone. That's Russian President Vladimir Putin. 
Putin's news conference lasted nearly four hours and also covered a range of domestic issues. He dismissed criticism of Russia, designating scores of critical media and activists as foreign agents, a pejorative label. Putin again rejected allegations that Russian authorities were behind the poisoning with a nerve agent of his top political foe, imprisoned opposition leader Alexei Navalny last year. Putin, who is set to attend the Winter Olympics in China early next year, also criticized the United States political boycott of the Beijing Games, describing it as a mistake and part of efforts by Washington to contain China's growing might. And in Washington, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said the United States has no aggressive intentions towards Russia and that expansion of the NATO alliance in Central Europe was peaceful and defensive in nature and not aimed at Russia. The only aggression uh, we're seeing uh, at the border of Russia and Ukraine is the military buildup by the Russians and the bellicose rhetoric from the leader of Russia. I would also note that also this morning, and I know we just did a background briefing on this as well, uh, in that press conference, uh, President Putin said he was encouraged by, and I'm paraphrasing here, the fact that there will be diplomatic talks, uh, uh, plans for diplomatic talks in January. Uh, we also believe that that is the best path and the right path forward. The third thing I would just note is that uh, NATO is a defensive alliance. It's not an aggressive alliance. Uh, there is no evidence uh, to the contrary to suggest anything to the contrary from the United States or NATO members. And of course, our efforts are to, to work with and defend our NATO partners. That is White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki. In related news, the White House re reiterated its warnings to Russia over a potential invasion of Ukraine, with one senior administration official telling reporters that the United States is ready to act if and when we need to. The White House said National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan had spoken today with Ukrainian head of presidential administration, Andrei Yermak, discussing their shared concerns and common approach regarding Russia's military buildup near Ukraine's border. The White House statement said Sullivan also had underscored the United States' wavering commitment to Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity. And in military news, David Lindorf, investigative reporter, wrote the piece, The United States is set to make nuclear war more likely. In that article, he states that the United States is about to move towards a far more likely first use of nuclear weapons with word that the Air Force has completed flight testing of the cost and performance plagued F-35A Lightning Fighter, all units of which are being upgraded to carry thermonuclear weapons. The article is at tarbell.org, an investigative journalism website. Lindorf says the F-35 is about a surprise nuclear attack and plausible deniability is being designed to do is to have its its um, fourth iteration of the fuselage redone to be wider to, to be able to carry two small dialable nuclear weapons that means that they could be set as small as 0.3 kilotons that's 300 tons of of dynamite equivalent to 50 kilotons which is about three times the size of the Nagasaki bomb, so fairly significant bombs. Also bombs that could be used secretly, a very small size, to do major damage without people knowing it was a nuke. So people would not know it was a nuke. How do you do that? Because you can always measure the radiation release. Say it's a, a penetrating bomb that goes into uh, the Kremlin into the basement or that hits a uh, gorilla hideout in the mountains and you drop a bomb that only explodes at 300 tons of dynamite equivalent, people might not find it. What's so, the purpose of such a thing, weapon? 
destroying hideouts, concentrations of guerrilla troops or something, or destroying a command and control center. Designed to make a nuclear weapon more usable. Exactly. And to do it quickly and early, first of all, these are not retaliatory weapons because none of these kinds of targets would be even existing after a first strike by, say, China or Russia, if that were ever to happen. And that is David Lindorf. He continues Bernie Sanders, who he calls the independent self-described socialist senator from Vermont, needs to end his own support for the basing of 18 F-35A planes at the Burlington International Airport, where he says pilots of the Vermont Air National Guard are now training for exactly the kinds of bombing scenarios he just described. Well, Bernie Sanders has plays an interesting role here because he has been having this two-track thing where he says, oh, it's a waste of money, it's a stupid plane, but, you know, I want 18 of them based in New Hampshire because we want a piece of the action since it's a done deal. Then he assures everybody in Vermont who doesn't want to uh, have a nuclear strike fighter based in their international airport at Burlington that it won't be a nuclear-capable fighter. That's simply not true. And his staff actually doctored a letter from the Pentagon a couple of explain years ago. You have to ago. explain doctored. Well, they actually altered what was in it, cut it, and, and made it look like a letter saying that the plane set at Vermont would not be nuclear capable. But that's simply not true. Every, why would they do that? And I checked this. Well, why, why, would, they why would they do that? Because people in Vermont don't want nuclear weapons being flown out of Vermont. And, and, why do and you think Bernie thing does? Is, Bernie's supposed to be, well, you know, the hero of this stuff. What, why would he do yeah, that? Yeah, well, he's too, he's talking out of two sides of his mouth. I mean, the, the reality is that these planes, they wouldn't be training with nuclear bombs in them, but they'll be designed to carry, the planes will be upgraded to carry nuclear weapons, and the pilots will be getting trained to fly those things and to drop those bombs. In a crisis, those planes would be ferried over to frontline bases near the Russia those pilots would also be over there to fly them. Just a dishonest statement to the people of Vermont that they're not going to be part of a first strike uh, war team in their Air National Guard unit. Why? What's the benefit for Vermont? What's the benefit for Bernie Sanders? Bernie says that, that he wants the jobs in Vermont that these planes bring. They don't actually bring any jobs because the planes won't be f repaired and the work won't be done in Vermont. They get ferried to places where the planes are built and at major air bases that can do the work on them. So everybody thinks they'll never use them. They just build them for the money and for the jobs and nobody will ever really use them. Yeah, that's the theory. But now we're in a new Cold War and these bombers are highly dangerous because they're first strike weapons. So calling attention to that, I think it's a story that people need to know. People of Vermont need to know it. People of the whole United States need to know it. This is a huge waste of money. $1.7 trillion for this plane and another $1.5 trillion to upgrade the U.S. nuclear arsenal, which includes these bombs that they're building for the F-35, these very small, usable nukes. And David Lindorf wrote the piece, The United States is Set to Make Nuclear War More Likely, at the investigative uh, reporting website, tarbell.org. Bernie Sanders has insisted, while he opposes the wasteful F-35 program, 
it is a done deal. And so he wants Vermont's Air National Guard unit to get a piece of the benefits of having it and the jobs it supposedly brings within his state. And President Biden, citing the pandemic, said yesterday that his administration had extended a moratorium on student loan repayments by 90 days, a relief measure that began nearly two years ago under the Trump administration. The extension affects about 41 million borrowers, including nearly 27 million who have not been paying their monthly bills since early 2020. Today, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki defended the decision as not a result of Senator Joe Manchin's sudden decision to drop support of Biden's signature Build Back Better bill. His administration is extending the pause on student loan repayments for an additional 90 days through May 1st, 2022. We'll continue working with borrowers to support a smooth transition back into repayment and advance economic stability. I would also note for all the student, those who have student loans out there, uh, the president also renewed his call for all student loan borrowers to do their part as well by taking full advantage of the Department of Education's resources, considering income-based repayment plans or public service loan forgiveness and getting vaccinated or boosted. Is Build Back Better um, being dead in the water the reason for extending the student loan moratorium? Well, we would disagree with that characterization, as I think uh, nearly every member of the Democratic caucus would as well, uh, and we're uh, forging ahead to get it done. Uh, I just gave you an overview of why the student loan extension. Obviously, we're still battling a pandemic. We know uh, that borrowers across the country, even as the economy has made progress, are still grappling with them, and this will give them a little bit more relief, and uh, that hence is why the president and the vice president made this decision. Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, since his first days in office, Biden has been pressured by Democratic lawmakers, urging him to deliver on a campaign promise of seeking to forgive $10,000 per person holding federal student loan debt. Biden has also called for Congress to pass a bill rather than forgive the forgive the amount through executive action, and he has avoided more ambitious calls from lawmakers, including Senator Chuck Schumer, the Democratic leader, who have asked the president to forgive as much as $50,000 through executive action. And in a story from California, the uh, state parole board there recently recommended that Sirhan Sirhan, who was convicted of the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy in June 1968, be released. The board noted his remorse, assessed his actions as a prisoner, and concluded that he's no threat to society. Sirhan still states that he has no memory of attacking Kennedy. California Governor Gavin Newsom will soon decide if Sirhan is to be released. Meanwhile, a number of investigators, often working independently, have challenged the dominant narrative and concluded that Sirhan is in fact not guilty of killing Kennedy. Labor leader Paul Schrade was a close associate of RFK, was with him the night he was assassinated, and he himself was also shot. Now 37, pardon me, 37, now 97, he has long charged the Los Angeles police effectively framed Sirhan, who Schrade testifies did not kill Kennedy. Schrade spoke with WBAI earlier today. Labor chair on the campaign in California and had worked with him uh, starting uh, with the JFK convention uh, back in that period and worked very closely with him uh, and got him introduced to the farm workers movement and also to the Watts Labor Community Action Committee and our black community. So I, I have a very close, good, friendly relationship with Bob. Uh, I was with him that night. He was, I was thanked during his victory speech and uh, went uh, met him in the pantry. He came in alone, which was weird. 
uh, and uh, he began shaking hands with a couple of kitchen workers, Juan Romero, the busboy, who finally held him after he was shot. Uh, Sirhan uh, came into the pantry. I didn't see him. The t- television lights went on and blinded me. Uh, I started shaking and fell, and I found out uh, soon uh, when I was on the floor bleeding from the head. I got a very serious head wound. You were, you, you were wounded by the bullet? <laughs> yes, by a bullet. Oh, my God. Sorry. Yeah, and, it, was uh, the first, it was the first shot from Sir Han. He, met, he fired two shots. And then he was captured by Carl Eucher, who was Bob's main escort of four from the hotel into the pantry. And so after those two shots, he grabbed Sir Han around the neck, threw him up against a table, seam table nearby, and about 10 guys jumped on Sir Han. And so he was buried. Uh, he was automatically uh, firing, kept firing his gun, not aiming at or seeing anything. And he wounded four other people with five bullets. Now that's two bullets to me to, to, at Bob and one wound, wounding me, and five more bullets wounding four people with a fifth bullet going through Ira Goldstein's pant leg. How many bullets is that? What I'd like to find out from you is your feeling about Sirhan Sirhan facing the possibility of being freed. He did not shoot Robert Kennedy, and that's what the police evidence shows and also shows the police evidence fabricated bullets to make him the the murderer so he was actually framed by the police and uh right from the day that bob died when they went in the grand before the grand jury with his falsified evidence what really happened in your opinion that he was shot by a second gunman did you feel that way at the time no i didn't know that the only time that i've discovered this, Alard Lowenstein, who was a friend of Bob's, came to me in 1975, and we began reinvestigating the case and meeting with the police, going into court, trying to get the evidence. The evidence was locked up for until 1988, 20 years, and we didn't have the evidence files. Then we found, once we had the files, we found a lot of documents being destroyed, and so we didn't have much of a case. The way we found out what really happened was when CBS National and I filed petitions with the California Supreme Court in 1975, a panel was set up to hear the evidence. What they finally came down with, the panel came down after checking the evidence saying there was no second gun. We accepted that. But then we found out a few years later that the evidence submitted to the Superior Court was these fake bullets fired by the LAPD the day that Bob died. The three bullets, there were three bullets in evidence. One from the back of Bob's neck, a whole bullet. One from an ABC guy, Billy Weisel, from his belly was a whole bullet. And one from the butt of Goldstein, who were shot, those two were shot by Sirhan. When we found out the what the court had decided, it was years later until we got the evidence file that was put into the evidence by the LAPD, which showed that these fake bullets 
were the ones that convinced the panel, and we didn't know that at the time. Now we know, now we have the evidence of the fake bullets. What do you think the motive was behind this? Bob was a threat to a lot of criminal elements, a lot of pro-war people just hated it because of the Kennedy. You think it was government? There was one guy that hated him who was a guard that night, Fane Eugene Caesar, who said on the record that the Kennedys are protecting, he said something about black people. There's a lot of people had motive, and we don't know just that because there's so much cover up by the LAPD and destruction of evidence that it's very difficult to get to this case. Are you going to meet Sirhan Sirhan when he gets out? I went to his parole board hearing back uh four years ago and and defended him saying you you didn't because he says he doesn't remember of course he can't remember because he didn't do it even though he was in there firing a gun and shooting people you think he was hypnotized? i don't i don't go that road uh-huh. i don't go theory i know that he was there he shot me miss kennedy shot four other people he shot seven bullets out of his eight and there was a second gunman firing four bullets in the back of robert kennedy with a different gun and a different bullet those are the facts of the case showing that there were two gunmen which the lapd still denies and still lies about for the past 52 years paul schrade has been working to bring to light evidence he says proves sirhan was not the one responsible for killing kennedy paul schrade will be my guest tonight on Radio Unnameable after midnight. And finally, Times Square will host approximately 43,000 fewer people than normal and require revelers to be fully vaccinated and masked as part of a scaled-back New Year's Eve celebration. That's according to Mayor Bill de Blasio. Around 15,000 people will be allowed to attend this year's celebration at the crossroads of the world, down from the usual 58,000. De Blasio said that in a press release. All attendees will be required to wear masks, and attendees ages 5 and up will have to prove they're fully vaccinated, meaning at least 14 days out from receiving the second dose of a two-shot vaccine or one dose of a single-dose uh, single vaccine. The event will also be held entirely outdoors with socially distanced viewing areas that will only open to visitors at 3 p.m., a much later entry than usual. Last year, organizers held a virtually enhanced celebration for New Year's Eve in Times Square that included a scaled-back live event. And that's some of the news for Thursday, December 23rd, 2021. The news was produced with Linda Perry, our engineer is Richie Johnson. From New York City, I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening.